So I have a mini teaching that I'm going to share tonight, just a short one. There's something God has put on my heart. I've already mentioned it. It's something that I knew that I wanted to share with you guys in the new year. Before Christmas, I had my eyes checked just because I had my deductible used up and I knew it would cover, right? So I went and had my eyes checked and I was out of contacts. And when they checked my prescription, I needed a new prescription. Got new contacts. I put those babies in and it was like, wow, I can see so good. I can read. I don't have to, you know, I can read. Thank you, God. You know, I was just all excited because I could see. And I went into prayer shortly after that. And I was talking to God. And again, often when I pray, I don't think about it. It just kind of comes up, bubbles up as I'm, as I'm just um, c I'm connecting with him and communion with him. And the, the, what came up was, God, for 2020, I want stronger spiritual glasses. I want to see more clearly with more clarity. And the area that I've really been pressing into is seeing the, the finished work before it's finished. Seeing God's promises before they've been manifested. Seeing them in my imagination. Seeing them with my mind's eye. Imagining God's will being fulfilled. I am an oral learner. I, am a, a, I learn by reading. I learn by hearing. That's, how, that's my mode of learning. But I was an elementary teacher. And I know that a lot of kids learn better through visual or through kinesthetic. Well, I'm talking to God and I say, God, will you help me to be more of a visual learner? I want to see. I want to have that vision. I want to be able to visualize and have vision of what you say and what your will is. I want that kinesthetic learning. I want to um, move into the spiritual realm and see what you see and feel what you feel and think what you think and compassion as you have compassion. And so that was kind of my heart cry at the beginning of the year. And, and then um, one of the things I love to do at the beginning of the year is to start with fast and prayer. So I, starting, I've, I start out every year with a season of fast and prayer, and that's what I'm doing right now. So you guys get the, the overflow. So my, this has been my focus. As I'm praying and as I'm praising and as I'm worshiping, my whole focus is on vision. Now, God gave me all of this before the 2020 stuff came out with the new year. So that, that's not what inspired me. It was God that inspired me to seek vision. So first scripture I want to share with you says, be still and know, recognize and understand that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In order for God to be exalted in our life, in our region, in our part of the earth, in our part of the world, we need to know him. Knowing him. That word know is the um, word yada. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, yada. And it means knowing through experience, that kinesthetic knowing, 
knowing through seeing, through hearing, knowing intimately, perceiving, understanding, discerning, all of those things that I'm yearning to grow in. That's what that word means. But then it says, in order to know, we have to be still. We're not very good at being still. We're not very good at listening. And I'm a culprit too. I'm, I'm retired. I love being retired. But you can't believe how easy it is to pack in your day. That's why I love to do these seasons of fast and prayer. And I put everything else aside, and I spend an additional uh, time with God every day. So that's where I'm at right now. The next scripture I'm going to read, I'm going to give you a little um, warning before I read it. It's a very difficult scripture, I think, to hear, but it's an important one. Jesus spoke these words in the book of Matthew to his apostles. They come from the prophet Isaiah. So um, he is quoting a scripture from Isaiah, but it's repeated in the New Testament, I believe, four times. And this particular time, Jesus is speaking it. And this is what he says. He says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I see, you will not comprehend. Or when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their eyes cannot hear, their ears cannot hear, and they've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Well, this is a healing class. And that scripture right there is talking about people that, for, for the reason that it's talking, the, the hardness, the hardness of the heart, the darkening of the heart. Jesus is saying, my people can't come to me and let me heal them. The work's done. Jesus finished the work. But if there's any way that me or you are in that place of having hardened hearts where we can't see and hear and understand, I want to switch that up. So that word hardened, it's on your sheet, it means calloused or desensitized. It means insensitive, unfeeling or unyielding. But here's the good news. If we switch that up, the opposite happens. If we have a softened heart instead of a hardened heart, everything changes. A softened heart is one that is warm, that is sensitive, that is tender, that is feeling, and that is yielding. And that's what God is stirring me right now in this, in this season to seek more of to grow more sensitive. The title of this message is Staying Sensitive to God. Staying in that place. I'm going to read this again, but this time I'm going to read it in the positive instead of the negative. When you hear what I say, you will understand. When you see what I do, you will comprehend. For the hearts of these people are sensitive. They're softened and their ears can hear, and they've opened their eyes so their eyes can see, and their ears can hear, and their hearts can understand, and they can 
turn to me and let me heal them. So let's talk about staying sensitive to God. Okay. So our hearts speak to us 24 hours a day. Every minute of every day, God reveals himself to us. God doesn't turn off the spigot. God doesn't say, I'm distancing myself from you. That's not God. I think what happens is the noise of this world, the busyness of this world, can drown out that still, small voice of God, especially if we're not getting still, especially if we're not getting quiet. God never intended for the potency of our relationship with him to fade. Yet that's exactly what happens with a lot of Christians. Not just non-believers, but even a lot of Christians. Um, this is January. I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer in January 18 years ago. I was given 6 to 9 months to live. But 6 months later I was completely well, completely healed. God captured my attention. And let me tell you, at the beginning of my walk with God, it was the craziest love affair ever. I mean, I literally say it was probably the best season of my life. Because I didn't know Jesus before I was diagnosed. I, didn't, I wasn't saved. I didn't have a relationship with him at all. So I had this amazing, first love, passionate, zealous love affair with God. And I still love him with all my heart. But some of that passion seems to have gotten, I, I don't know if I'm complacent or if it's just like I love my husband with all my heart. I love him more now than I loved him 40 years ago when I married him. But our relationship's different. And that's not a bad thing. But I want to stay in that place of my first love, stay in that place of sensitivity. So I'm going to read another scripture right now. This is from Romans chapter 1. And I've never read it like this before. I've never understood it like this before, but I think God is helping me to see with new eyes. And this, this scripture is not written to unbelievers. This scripture is written to believers. But it's talking about being desensitized. It's talking about starting to be pressed into the mold of the world. And that's what we see in the world today. Yes, non-believers are definitely, um, I don't even need to go there. But even believers, even Christians, many of the, the people in the Christian world are being pressed into the mold of the world and doing things the world way and being desensitized and callous to sin, where sin isn't even seen as sin anymore. It's not even recognized as sin anymore. It's recognized as good. Evil is being seen as good, and good is seen as evil. This world is messed up. Well, that's what the scripture's talking about. So let me read it. For God in heaven unveils his holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both toward ungodliness that lives in hearts and in evil actions. I want you to notice that the anger, God is angry at sin. He is Look at what he did with the hypocrites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was angry at the religiosity. He's not angry at the people. He loves the people. But he's angry at the sin and the actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth. And it keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. 
So what does sin do? It keeps people from knowing God. It keeps people from knowing the truth. And that angers God. That hurts him. One of my prayers during this season is to, to, to be angered with what angers God. To be overjoyed with what overjoys God. To be com- filled with compassion with what fills God with compassion. And then he goes on, verse 19, it says, In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. Wow. Go to the next slide, please. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance, because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then, this leaves everyone without excuse. Amelia, you were talking about that at the beginning of the meeting, saying, just look at creation. How can you help but believe in this amazing God? When you look at the, 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 the solar systems and the balance of the world and the water and the land and the sky and the precipitation and everything, the seasons, the balance of the, where the earth is positioned and everything else, God has given us everything to believe. And he says right here that ignorance is not an excuse. And then the next slide, the next scripture Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them. That's the people. That's you and me. The fingerprints of God are literally upon God's people. Yet, they refuse to honor him as God. They refuse to even be thankful for his kindness. Instead, they entertain corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. This left them with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. Basically what was happening was this downward spiral of being yielded to the world instead of yielded to God. And the process desensitized hearts, desensitized souls from recognizing evil until evil became good and good became evil. Now, the scripture that I'm going to focus on for the rest of this teaching and next week as well, I'm only doing a short part today, is that same scripture, but I'm going to read it this time out of the New King James Version. He said, because though they knew him, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but... They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now this teaching that I'm going to share is part of an Andrew Womack teaching. And he sees this as a progressive three steps to becoming darkened or desensitized. The good news is that if we can see three steps that can cause us to be desensitized, if we reverse them and apply the positive side, 
It is three steps to being sensitive to God and staying sensitive to God. And as I've been meditating on this, it has been becoming more and more and more big and real and huge in me and my heart. It's, it's, um, I, my heart is jumping as I'm studying this, so I believe it's Holy Spirit. So here are the three steps, and you have a little chart in front of you. The three steps that are in this scripture that caused hearts to be hardened. First of all, they did not glorify God as God. Secondly, they were not thankful. And then thirdly, they became futile in their thoughts. In the old King James, it says they became vain in their imaginations. We're going to be talking about imaginations next week. Today we're talking about number one and number two. I want to define futile because they became futile. That means ineffective. Their thought, their thought life was ineffective. It was unsuccessful and it worked against them. Their imaginations worked against them. First, they didn't glorify God as God. Second, they weren't thankful. And then third of all, their imaginations worked against them instead of for them. We're going to look at each one of those and how that applies to us. The first step in staying sensitive to God is glorifying God as God. That word glorify means to render or esteem glorious. It means to value above all else. It means to prize. Now here is where it, this is speaking to me. I'm just going to say it's super simple. We need to value God above everything else in our life. We need to exalt God and exalt his promises over the junk in your life, over the diagnosis, over the pain, over the situation. We need to put God in his rightful place, which is first place. We need to glorify him and put him first, value him above everything else. Now the enemy, the enemy will always try to get us to decrease the value, the esteem, or the worth that we place on the things of God. This is what that scripture in Romans was talking about. It's called carnality. We live in a carnal world. Carnal means fleshly or worldly. And we can get so wrapped up in life, and it might be um, uh, even in the process of fighting a disease, it might be all of the doctor's appointments and all of the treatments and all of the, the um, uh, medicines that you have to take and have on your schedule. We are really good at adjusting our um, uh, uh, schedules to, to do all the stuff we need to do in our health realm. Even with Kent now, you know, he's, he's building in time to get on that treadmill on the bike. We adjust our schedules. We put our focus, our attention on things of the world, and that's not, not all bad. But the point is, are we putting God first? Are his declarations over his heart first place, even over getting on that treadmill? Are we valuing God above everything in the world? Or are we letting the world press us into the mold of doing things the world's way? And with disease, with health issues, that's a big, huge deal. It can take over. 
I, I, I have had people that I have been a little short with since Kent was healed because they're asking me, are you doing this? What is your hospital? What is, what are you? It's like, we're going to take care of him. But that's not my first priority. My first priority is God. So listen to the scripture. This is Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded means things of the flesh. And it's not, and let me define that. The senses. That's how, um, as human beings, in, in our physical body, we're spirit, soul, and body. So in our body, that's how we um, understand things, through our senses, through how we see, how we hear, what we talk to the doctor about, our knowledge, our intellect, um, uh, our senses. That's how we perceive things. That's carnal. If that's the only place your head is, it says it leads to death. And that doesn't mean physical death, although it could end there. That means things that aren't leading to the fullness of life that Jesus paid for. Carnal-minded, having your mind totally on the world and the world's way of doing things, even in a healing situation, even seeking healing, isn't God's best for you. Spiritual-minded is life and peace. Being spiritually-minded, putting God at the top. Pastor Tim, I love, he says this all the time, and I do too. He says, go ahead and do everything you can do in the medical realm, in the natural realm, and in the spiritual realm, but put God at the top. Give God lordship over all of it. And that's what we did when we took Kent to the emergency room. Yep, the doctors did the procedure, but we were praying and praising all the way through. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Those three big areas, those of you who have been taught in the Old King James Version. This is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the three big categories of carnality. Doing things the world's way. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Let me read it from this version again. Um, a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. Every blessing we have is from God. So here's some questions. These are Andrew's questions. I didn't write them. Just saying. <laughs> Do you watch the same shows on television that the world enjoys? Do you read the same ungodly books and listen to the same ungodly music? Are you entertained the same way the world is entertained? We can't share the world's values without becoming desensitized to God. Here's another aspect of glorifying God, and that is to glorify the opinion of God over the opinion of man. 
when we give ourselves to the Lord big time, like 100%, I'm all in, God, people in the world may very well ridicule you. They may debate you. They may argue with you. They may turn away from you. You may lose friends. You may be distanced from people who you thought really cared about you. It's another tactic of the enemy. It's another tactic where he pushes you almost to value people over God. I'll never forget one time when my sister asked me a question. It was close to the beginning of my journey. And she was very, she was very hurt because of my, my new relationship with God. And she asked me the specific question. She said, I just want one thing, Cindy. I want you to put your family first. And I told her I couldn't do it. That's the kind of thing that happens. Do you value God above everything else? If you're more concerned about the approval of people than you are with God, you'll quit glorifying him. Glorifying means valuing him above all. The moment you shift your value system to exalt the opinions of other people above God, your heart begins to harden. This is one that God's really been speaking to me about. You know, when I'm here, it's so easy to be a big mouth for God. <laughs> but when I'm out there in the world, it's not so easy. And I think sometimes I'm valuing what people think over what God thinks. God's been speaking to me about this. Maybe he is you too. The third part of this glorifying God means magnifying him. Magnifying means to increase the apparent size of or to cause to seem greater or more important. I don't really like that definition. That's the uh, dictionary.com definition. Because God really is. It's not just he seems bigger. No, he is bigger. <laughs> when we magnify him, I believe what we're doing is we are um, perceiving God the way he really is, which is bigger than the problem. Whatever we focus on, we will magnify. This is a big, big key in your healing journey. Huge key. Is to turn your focus away from the problem. To turn your focus away from even the pain, the best that you can. I know pain screams loud. But when you put your eyes on God, and that's what you've been doing tonight, Annette, Every time I'm with you, you're praising God. Your hands up, you're worshiping, you're loving on God. You're glorifying God. When you do, the problem is minimized. When you're magnifying God, the problem is minimized. God gave me this word this week. It was right after. I'm going to tell you the rest of my story. I haven't told you the rest of this. When God spoke to me about Kathy, and he said, I am, I am um, what did he say, I'm changing I'm moving. I'm moving heaven and earth to bring Kathy her blessing. And I'm weeping and I'm crying. And I'm kneeling and I'm on my knees. And I said, God, what about Nathan? And I said, what about Michelle? There's another woman named Michelle who's fighting ALS and she comes on Monday night. And I literally said, what about Nathan? And what about Michelle? And this is what he spoke to me. He said, keep standing. 
He said, the gravity of God is so much greater than the gravity of the problem. That's what he said. And that's the word he used, gravity. I looked up gravity, because I thought gravity was like what holds us on earth, you know? But there's another meaning of gravity. And it means the, the bigness, the greatness, the majesty. You can look it up. There was better words than that in the dictionary. But the gravity of God is so much greater than the gravity of the problem. And that's what magnifying God is. Focusing on God changes our perception. We begin to see him in his proper perspective, which is bigger, greater, mightier, and more powerful than any sickness or tragedy. Amen. Amen. And that leads us to the second step. The first step is glorifying God, valuing him, his opinion, who he is above everything else, and magnifying him. And the second one is being thankful, living a lifestyle of thankfulness, making a choice to be thankful in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. Because this is what thankfulness does. Being thankful is how we fight against the natural human tendency to focus on the problem. Being thankful is how we fight the natural tendency to focus on the problem. And when we're thankful, we're magnifying God. So they go hand in hand, glorifying God and thankfulness. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. I love this psalm. In this psalm, the writer of the psalm is speaking to himself. This is Cindy's version. I'll read the real version in a minute. Cindy's version is, soul, I'm talking to you right now. Mind, will, emotion, I'm talking to you right now. We're going to worship. We're going to praise God right now. We're going to acknowledge how great he is. We're going to look at, we're going to remember his benefits. Because when you're in the midst of a problem, you're probably not going to feel like it. And it takes, it, it costs something. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. It costs something to get up and praise God in the midst of the battle. But that's what this is saying. The psalmist says, bless and affectionately praise the Lord, soul, oh my soul. And with all that is deep within me, bless his holy name. And then he says it again. Bless and affectionately praise the Lord, oh my soul. And do not forget any of his benefits. I'm just going to reverse that. Remember his benefits. Remember his benefits. Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for who he is. Maybe events in your life are really difficult, but you can always find something to praise God for. So the last thing that's on your sheet, and then we're going to get into ministry. The last thing is, if you don't know what to thank God for, I've given you a bunch of things. I've given you a list. First of all, thank God for who he is. All the things that I've listed here are scriptural, and there's so much more. God is love. Earlier when we worshiped him, he said, I will because I love you. God is love. God is faithful. God doesn't lie. Every word he speaks is absolute truth. God is not changeable. God is, is steadfast. 
God is good. And he's always good. And he's only good. When you start meditating on God and thanking him for who he is, he tenderly cares for us. That's what he did for Kent. He took such good care of him. He tenderly cares for us. So thank God for who he is. Secondly, thank Jesus for who he is and what he did. Thank Jesus for the fullness of his redemption. And how did he pay for it? With love, with life, with his own suffering. He chose for his body to be broken so ours could be whole. He chose to take stripes on our back so we could be healed. His redemption purchased everything for the fullness of our salvation. Forgiveness of sins, which made us righteous so we could be reconciled to God with no distance anymore. He paid for our healing and for our health and for our wholeness. He paid for our peace. He redeemed us from every part of the curse. So that Deuteronomy 28, where there's first a few blessings and then there's a whole lot of curses, we've been redeemed because sin was the reason there was a curse. And sin is no longer an issue. The sin issue's been taken care of. There's no more curse unless we give it life in us. <sighs> Jesus did so much. Thank you, Jesus. The next one, thank him for what his word promises. We have his word. That's what Kent and I did when we were in that, 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 that season of, you know, fighting for his life. Thank you, Jesus, that no weapon formed against my husband will prosper. Thank you, God, that all is well. Thank you, God, that by Jesus' stripes, Kent is whole. We have so many promises. Thank him for what his word says. Give him his word back to him. He doesn't need it. It's for you to build you up and to, to build you up into that place of, of, of uh, being close, face to face with him and his love and his power and his grace. Thank him for every sign of progress you've seen on your healing journey. I bet you you can name a whole bunch of things on this journey that you're in. Being here, being here, that's huge. You're able to be around like-minded believers and in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've seen so many things. Leah, you're a new woman. You're a new woman. You went from fear to peace. You went from, from being overwhelmed to being uplifted. There are so many pieces of our journey. Thank him for all of those. Remember his benefits. Thank him for your victories. Your past testimonies. If you don't have any, go to the Word. There's lots of testimonies in there. Thank Him for your friends' testimonies. Thank Him for your husband's testimonies. Thank Him for all of your victories. Live a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Because thanking God, I'm going to read this again, being thankful is how we fight against the natural human tendency to focus on our problems. We, our focus shifts. So, the next time we get together, we're going to talk about imagination. Instead of futile imaginations that works against life, 
that leads to death. We're going to talk about a sanctified imagination. Getting our 2020 vision on, our new glasses, and seeing with clarity and envisioning God's finished work. I've heard it said that we have to see it to be it. That's what I'm focusing on. So we are going to go into ministry now, and we're going to go to some worship songs, and then we're going to, we're going to minister and worship and minister and worship. I don't know how it's going to go. We're going to let God lead that. But I want to share with you something I discovered <clears throat> in the book of Matthew. This was so cool. I started the book of Matthew uh, at the beginning of the year, and um, I saw something for the first time. First book is the genealogy of Jesus. The second book in Matthew is about Jesus' birth. The third book in Matthew is about the three kings coming and, and worshiping our king. And then near the end of the third chapter, um, it jumps to his adult life, and Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and goes into the wilderness. And then comes chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Jesus leaves Jerusalem because there's persecution. John the Baptist had been imprisoned. He leaves, and he goes to the Galilee. And when he goes to the Galilee, he starts preaching in their synagogues and teaching. And then there's a healing account. This is the very first account of healing in the New Testament. The first one. Listen to this. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every disease, every kind of disease and illness. That's the first account. Jesus healed every kind of disease and every illness. Right out of the chute. Right out, it's, it's, it's the first thing in his ministry. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began to bring him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them all. That's who our God is. He healed them all. He healed all their diseases. Now I have some really good news. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It may be a new year, but we have the same God, and he still heals all our diseases. 